الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين استفى اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا ايها الذين امنوا اذكروا الله ذكرا كثيرا سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Alhamdulillah, by the fuzzle and grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, up till now we have covered seven of the eight istilahat or terms coined by Hazrat Khwaja Abdul Khalid Ghazdawani rahmatullahi alayhi. The first one was called Ostardam. The second was called Nazar Barakadam. The third was called Safar Darwatam. The fourth was called Khalwat Dar Anjuman. The fifth one was called Yad Karo. The sixth one was called Baz Gasht. And the seventh one was called Nagidasht. So the eighth one is called Yad Dasht. Number eight is called Yad Dasht. <coughs> This means to keep one's thoughts, keep one's focus. And they use the word here in Arabic, tawajjuh, to keep one's focus and one's thoughts purely directed at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or rather to keep one's pure, unadulterated focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does this mean by pure and unadulterated tawajjuh? It means not through the use of words, nor through the use of thoughts. So one thing is to think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using, <coughs> thinking about words such as Allah, Allah, Allah. <coughs> or the asma, <coughs> or the asma al-husna. The other way is to, for example, to think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, about his generosity. Another way to remain focused on Allah is by thinking different thoughts that keep us focused on him. Thinking about his kindness to us, thinking about his majesty, thinking about our servanthood towards him, thinking about meeting him on the Day of Judgment, thinking about Jannah. This is a special type of remembrance of Allah that neither makes the use of words, nor the makes the use of thoughts. It's a very difficult thing. It means that to use khalis satan, a person's tawajju, absolute, pure, essential focus of a person, is directed and dedicated to Allah subhanahu wa such that we are perpetually aware of Him. And the way they explain this is they use the verse in the Quran al-Kareem in Surah al-Hadid, ayah number 4, Hua ma'akum ayna ma'akuntum That Allah subhanahu wa says that know that He is with you wherever you are, in whatever state you are, in whichever state you are. So basically Allah subhanahu wa here refers to the fact that Allah subhanahu wa is aware of us at all times. And this is referring to a general awareness, not specifically that Allah's rahmah is coming on us or Allah Ta'ala's karma is coming on us. So in response to this, the salik should also have a general awareness of Allah Ta'ala at all times, which is not restricted to or defined by particular words or particular thoughts or particular mechanisms or particular ways. <clears throat> so a person then, the way they do yadajd is we are supposed to keep this verse in mind at all times. And this is known as keeping in mind the ma'iyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ever-present companionship and His complete and absolute and perpetual awareness of us at all times. 
Then they write that the reality is is that this complete and so Yad Dash refers to on our side to also have complete and perfect and perpetual and constant awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be as completely aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as He is aware of us, that is called Yad Dasht. So it's written that this is actually not possible without number one Fanai Hakiki and number two Bakai Kamal. So not possible without number one, fanai hakiki, true absolute absorption and effacement and annihilation in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nor is it possible until a person has completed number two, baqa'i kamil, complete and perfect subsistence in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after returning to this world. Something that Hazrat Sahib already explained several nights ago. Now, what's written here actually pertains to. Well, I'll just continue. The reason for this is that <clears throat> when we are traveling this journey of fana and baka, that in the terminology of our mashaykh is called tariqah. After a person completes tariqah and arrives at baka, there's another stage called hakika, And after hakika, there's another stage called ma'rifat. So during this stage of tariqah, and all of these three are subsumed under the shariat. So first term shariat, tariqat, hakikat, and ma'rifat. While a person is on tariqat, that means that a person is doing what they say in Arabic, Persian, and Urdu as taqalluf. Taqalluf means is that a person is continually working on themselves, making effort and struggle to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yaddash refers to that remembrance which comes naturally without any effort, without any struggle, without any taqalluf. So that doesn't come during tariqat, that comes after a person has completed their tariqat and entered this next stage called Hakika. Certainly in the stage of Tariqa, we do try, and we're going to discuss in a minute, we do try to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but that is an exercise that we adopt, Takalluf, as opposed to an inherent attribute that we possess, which is what Yaddash is saying. That to reach such a level of complete and perpetual awareness and remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that it becomes an inherent an inseparable attribute of, a, of ours. <coughs> now, <coughs> however, in the stage of hakikat, after a person has passed through fana and baka, then there is no more takalluf. There is no more of working on yourself to put yourself on the exercise of zikr. It becomes part of the inseparable and inherent attributes of a person that they are perpetually and always aware and remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now that's all I'm going to say. I first thought and I started reading on this issue of Sharia, Tariqat, Hakikat, Marifat, but I think there's too much theory and one must limit uh, one's hypocrisy and leave something perhaps for next time or something perhaps Hazasab can better explain these things. But beyond Hakikat, there's something called Marifat and lots of detail was written on Tariqat and Marifat and Hakikat. But, you know, certainly our Nazar should exceed our Qadam, but. <laughs> Maybe not so much should it exceed our kandam. So let's keep our nazar on the tariqat and even the different stages in the tariqat many lie far ahead, let alone these other things that come afterwards which are called hakikat and marifat. The only thing I will just say about this as it pertains to this is as follows. That number five yadkaro and number seven nagidasht, these are both part of tariqat. And for the muptadi, the beginner, we do yad karo. And for the mutawasit, for the person at the intermediate stage, we do nagidasht. Number eight, which is yad dasht, 
is for the muntahi, the person who is advanced and really is not part of tariqat but is part of the stage of hakikat. So that means that for practical purposes we have studied Yadast and fulfilling the command or the hukam of Hazrat Sam that we should present to you all the teachings of our Messiah, specifically these eight, so you get to learn, we all get to learn together what our Naqshbani Mujaddidi Saluk is about. But for practical purposes, since all of us are beginners, it's really Yad Karo that we should focus on. And to some extent, Nagidas that we should keep our Nazar on. So our Qadam is on Yad Karo and our Nazar is on Nagidast and Yadast is, <laughs> inshallah, something that we can keep in mind. May Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq to reach this reality as well, exclusively for His sake and for His pleasure, and to earn His mahabbat and His ma'rifat. So when finishing this eighth, Hazrat Khaza Abdul Khaliq Rajdawani Namtai wrote that there is no stage beyond Yadast. This is the ultimate stage, this is the end of Saluk as conceived by Hazrat Khwaja Abdul Khalaq Gajdawani. And interestingly, just as a side note, Hazrat Khwaja Bahaudin Naqshabandar Abdul came later, six more steps in the Silsila, and he made these 16 Asbaq. The 16th Sabak is called Muraqaba Ma'iyat, which is also all about this ayah, Wahu Ma'akum Aina Ma'akuntam. And then for him also, Hazrat Bahaudin Naqshabandar Abdul this also represented the end of Saluk. Hazrat Mujadal Fasanin Abdul did not necessarily take saluk beyond this end, but he just added more details to the saluk. Sometimes someone might have a misconception that Hazrat Bahaudin Naqshaban Ramtalai made up to the 16 lessons and Hazrat Mujallah Fasanir made up to the 35 lessons, so the people who were after must have been greater because they did all 35 lessons, so it's not like that. The earlier Mashaikh are always more Kamil than the later ones. However, it's just that Hazrat Mujaddad al-Fistani explained it in more detail. You can imagine that it's the same journey. Let's say it's a one-mile journey. Hazrat Khwaja Abdul Khalaq Rajdawani taught his Salakin how to cross that one mile in eight steps. Hazrat Bahaudin Naqshbandar taught his students how to cross that same one mile in 16 steps. And Hazrat Imam Rabbani Mujaddad al-Fasana taught his Salakin to cross that same journey of one mile in 35 steps. The name of that journey is the Nisbat. So the Nisbat, the Mujaddadi Nisbat, the Naqshbani Nisbat, the Siddiqui Nisbat, it's all the same Nisbat that is coming, actually originating from the heart of the Prophet But different Mashaikh in different ages develop different detailed processes or different levels of details on how to complete that journey. <coughs> So, Yad, to conclude on Yad Dasht, one Sheikh of our Silsila, whose name has remained unmentioned in the books, in order to share the blessings of Allah Subhanahu which is called Tahdisun Ni'ma, and in order to make it crystal clear what type of perpetual and absolute and complete awareness of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is hasil or is obtained in this teaching of Yad Dasht, he said that the dangers of the heart have become so far from us. That, hypothetically speaking, were we even granted the lifespan of Sayyidina Lu which was 950 years, even then we have, would have no fear that our heart could fall into a moment of ghaflat or a moment of heedlessness. We should all at least have raghbat and have desire to reach this. Razaknallahu wa lakum. May Allah Ta'ala grant this to us, to us and to everyone. This completes the <coughs> eight istilahat of after that, Hazrat Bahaudin Naqshbandar 
in addition to making the 16 asbaq of muraqabah, he kept teaching these eight terms as well. Plus, he added three more terms. The first is called bukufi zamani. Bukufi zamani. Bukuf means to become aware. So the person who is aware, we call him a waqif. So bukufi zamani, zaman means time. So this means that a person becomes extremely aware of the passing of time. They remain watchful over the passing of time. In what sense precisely? As follows. That Bukufi Zamani means that a Salik should always remain aware and watchful of his hal, of his condition at every moment of time. And after, number one, and number two, after every moment of time passes, he should reflect upon the moment of time that just passed and see, did I just spend that moment of time in a ghaflat or not? If he finds that the moment of time I just passed was spent in ghafla, then he should make istighfar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, seek Allah's forgiveness for that ghafla, for that absent-mindedness, for that heedlessness, for that forgetfulness. And then he should make tawbah. Tawbah means that he should make a firm resolve once again and intention in his heart to leave all ghaflat and that there should never be a moment of his life that passes and that there should never be a moment of time that overcomes him there should never be a moment of time that he witnesses that it catches him in a state of forgetfulness of Allah. Never should a moment of time pass in our life that it finds us in a state in which we were forgetful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That very simply is wakufi zamani. So you can say that is number nine. Number ten is wakufi adadi. Wakufi adadi is also something specific, a specific teaching to lesson number eight. Lesson number eight is a very special lesson in our salsala. The Mashaikh used to call this the cream of the salsala. Cream meaning the really thick cream being a metaphor. You see, I'll just tell you one more thing along the way. That <coughs> there are four things. Water, honey, wine, and milk. Water, honey, wine, and milk. And it's mentioned in hadith that there will be four rivers in Jannah. There will be four types of rivers in Jannah. Rivers of water, pure water, rivers of pure honey, and rivers of pure wine. A permissible type of wine, not the type of haram wine that we have on this earth. And pure milk. Some of the Arifin have said that the four master silsilas, which are Qadri, Surawardi, Jishti, and Naqshbandi. Right? The other silsilas are offshoots. For example, the Tajani silsila has Sheikh Abdul Qadr Zainab in it. So we consider that for all intents and purposes from emanating from the Qadri Nisbat. Similarly, the Shadili silsila has Sheikh Abdul Qadr Zainab in it. So we consider that as an emanation. So these four master silsilas, some of the Arifin did tashbih to these four things as follows. The Surah Bardi Silsila is like water. The Chishti Silsila is like wine. The Qadri Silsila is like honey. And the Naqshbandi Silsila is like milk. Because of this reason, then you will find many times our Naqshbandi Mashai doing Tashbih to milk. The ultimate portion of milk is known as the cream of the milk. And so when our Mashaikh said that this eighth lesson, which is known as Habsidam or Tahleel Khafi, to recite La ilaha illallah, but not with our tongue, but what we call the lisan khayal or the tongue of our mind, the tongue of our heart, is known as the cream of our salsal. And therefore you find that already we had one particular <coughs> terminology, which was Nagidasht, which at its first level of understanding specifically pertained 
no, Baz Gusht, sorry, Baz Gusht, that specifically pertained to lesson number eight. And now Imam Bahauddin, just like Hazrat Khwaja Abdul Khalaq Gurdwani in his eight points, one specifically pertained to lesson number eight, just like that Hazrat Bahauddin Naqshaban Rahmatullah in his additional three points, one pertained specifically to lesson number eight, and that is called Wukufi Adadi. Wukufi Adadi means to be aware of the number, the Adad, the number and the quantity of the zikr that we're doing. So this pertains to lesson number eight, that a person should do an odd number. Ideally, initially, a person tries to work themselves up to 21 times to be able to say La ilaha illallah 21 times, and then a person can increase. Hazrat Sahib once told us that he used to do it 121 times in one breath. 121 times in one breath, that is also an odd number. And they take this from the hadith that Allahu witrun wa yuhibbul witra, that Allah Taala is witr and he loves that which is witr. In the first sense, the word witr means one. So Allah Taala is one, and he loves that which is witr. He loves those things that are performed in an odd quantity. Because number one is the prime odd number. So that's why you will see that with our tasbihat, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, our... That's not a good example. So in this particular zikr of la ilaha illallah, we have to be aware of the number. What does that mean? That otherwise you don't have to be aware of the number in the other zikr. For example, you sit and make Raqba Latifah film that your Latifah film is saying Allah, Allah, Allah. We're not required to keep track or be aware of how many times our film said Allah, Allah, Allah. It's not necessary. It's not lazim. However, in the eighth lesson, we must keep track and make sure that the number of times we say La ilaha illallah per breath is an odd number. Okay? That's very quickly done. Finally, to conclude this series is number 11, which is Wakuf Qalbi. Now, last year we spoke about Wakuf Qalbi in the sense as it fall, it fell under one of the six things that our Mashaikh teach, those six being number one, Wakuf Qalbi, number two, Muraqaba, number three, Tilawat the Quran, number four, Istighfar, number five, Durud and Salawat, and number six, Rabita with the Sheikh. Now we'll try to speak about Wakufa Kalbi in a slightly different way. So Wakufa again means to be aware. So Wakufa Kalbi, number one, means to always keep the heart aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, this includes in it to always be aware of your heart. Because you can't keep your heart always aware of Allah unless you're aware of your heart to begin with in the first place. For example, many of us before we met Hazrat Sabrish, we didn't even know we had something inside of us called a kalb, called a spiritual heart. Right. And number three, which is how I explained it to you last year, is that wakuf can also be taken as coming from wakuf, which means to pause. It means to pause our heart in the remembrance of Allah, whilst everything else is busy and engaged in the world, but our heart remains in still state, in a still state of remembrance of Allah. Here, however, wakuf be in all of these are ways to understand it. But really today, since last time I emphasized, and perhaps I might even overemphasize this concept of pausing the heart, so this time we will focus on the first part, which is to keep your heart always aware of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this means in every moment to keep your kalb. Again, the kalb is our latifah kalb, which is in the outer lower portion of the chest. In your, bre- in your chest you have your breast. The breast has your nipple. From the outer lower portion of the left nipple is where your latifah kalb lies, at a distance of two finger widths. So, <clears throat> to keep that kalb always focused on the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially when doing zikr. Especially when doing zikr, whether it's zikr, lisani, istighfar, durud, recitation of Qur'an, salah, 
or in some type of muraqabah to keep our heart always focused on the remembrance of Allah. The hikmah, the wisdom behind this is as follows, is this gradually is what leads us to that other state which was yaddasht. In other words, the purpose of doing wukuf al-kalbi is so that no tawajju, no focus of our heart remains on anything that is masiwa Allah, anything that is other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this happens gradually over time. And number two, our heart becomes protected from any external dangers. Because if all of our focus and awareness is on Allah, then we become distracted from everything else around us. Then there's no chance that anything around us can divert our heart from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So gradually, the more and more we make wukuf al-kalbi, the more and more our tawajjuh and focus will be on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, Hazrat Khawaja Bahaundi Naqshaban did not choose to make wukuf al-zamani or wukuf al-adadi part of the six things. He made wukuf al-kalbi part of the six things, part of the, uh, the, the, <coughs> the mamulat or the six regular practices of uh, the teachings of our tariqah, like rabita and muraqaba, etc. Why? Because the purpose of zikr, the purpose of zikr is to remove ghaflat. So if the very purpose of zikr is to remove ghaflat, then he said that it's not possible to do that without practicing wukuf al-kalbi. Because wukuf al-kalbi is that exercise, again, taqallufan and tariqah, that exercise that keeps our heart focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and removes our heart from the masiva, that which is other than him. Malana Rum explained this in a poem. And he said that if on the tongue you have tasbih, but what if in your heart is an ox and a donkey? What that means is that what value is there to the recited lingual zikr of the tongue, tasbihat, if in your heart we have the thoughts of the dunya? So the cure for this is wukuf al-kalbi. And that's why it was said specifically when we're making zikr iskar, so let's say when we make istighfar, or recite the rood, or read the rood and salawat, or recite the Qur'an, that we should make sure that our heart is focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One poet said, Allah That Allah that on the egg of your heart kun be as if as if you are a bird. In other words, remain focused, so focused on your heart, be so aware of your heart, just sit on your heart. The way a bird sits on the egg when she's the mother bird, sits on the egg when she's in the nest. And do so from this focus al-ahwal, that certain conditions and states will, uh, will be born inside of you, will arise from you by being focused on your heart. Just like when the mother hen remains sitting on the egg, then certain states happen in the egg, it goes through its whole period of gestation, and eventually it a chick emerges, it cracks the egg, and a whole new life form emerges. Just like that, we should remain focused on our heart. Hazrat Mujaddad, it's narrated that Hazrat Mujaddad al-Fasani used to say that that person who is unable to focus or unable to benefit from muraqabah, he should temporarily stop doing muraqabah. This is just a saying, none of us should do this until the shaykh individually tells us to do it. But this is just something that was written in the book. That that person who is not Hazrat Imam Rabbani Mujal it's narrated from him that he said, or wrote, that that person who is not benefiting from Muraqabah should stop doing Muraqabah and should be told to only do Wukuf al-Kalbi and keep focusing on that 
so that he is able to develop inside of him the tawajjud, the focus, the ability for his heart to focus on Allah. And then he should resume doing muraqabah. Inshallah, he will find that muraqabah will have an effect. And in the end, then we conclude with a verse from the Quran al-Kareem, Ya ayyuhalladzina amanu thkirullaha dhikran kathira. All of these different terminologies that the Mashaikh have coined are really ways to do amal on this verse. So it's actually nothing then. Our tasawwuf is really suluk min al-Qur'an. is a methodology that is derived from the Qur'an. All of these are ways to enable us to reach that command or fulfill that command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do dhikr kathir to do abundant, excessive, and the utmost level of kasrat is to do perpetual and constant and unwavering dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then they end with the hadith that Qana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam da'ima dhikrin. That verily the Prophet was perpetual in his dhikr. He was ever aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to implement, to adopt, to understand, to adopt, and to implement these teachings of our Mashaykh.